Well, good morning, family. We're going to have a fun time in God's Word today. We're in Joshua chapter 12 and 13. We're going to do two chapters. Don't freak out. Uh, it will be, actually, it won't, it won't be extended time-wise. We, we've been taking a look at Joshua. We're learning, um, really, it's, it's really about all these wars and battles and fighting in. And what we're learning from it is we're learning the principles of spiritual warfare um, that in our lives we have to face and, and deal with. So um, it's important for us to, to get the, the concept, the, you know, what's going on. And, and you have to ask this question, I think, right from the beginning. Um, why are they going out and fighting so much? I mean, why are they having all these battles? And, and you learn that the battles are a battle for their inheritance. They're battling for an inheritance that God has promised them. And so they battle. And, they, and they're taking land. That's their inheritance. Or their inheritance is land that God has promised to them. And so they go into battle to get their inheritance. Now we're going we're gonna to take a good look at what an inheritance is and how God, his inheritance for us now in the new covenant. But, um, but this chapter is really divided up um, into two segments. And it's about rehearsing or remembering the battles that they've won. And it doesn't go back to when they entered into the promised land with Joshua. It actually goes all the way back to Moses and the battles that he took them to and won on the other side of the Jordan. And they had to learn about these battles because um, they have to remember what God did for them. And I think that's a principle that we learn in here is this. We don't celebrate enough the victories that we have. We just don't do it well. Um, I was with a friend this last week, and, and he, you know, he, um, he, he got actually saved, and uh, one of the processes of his deliverance was going to AA meetings, and then, you know, um, and then after that, celebrate recovery and, and doing all that. And he was telling me, um, that he was at the celebration of, I, I actually don't remember, but it was over 20 years where he had been sober. And, and I thought, there's one group that does it well. They tend to think about their victories and they keep track of it. And they go, you know what? God delivered me, you know, 18 years ago or 10 years ago, whatever it might be. And, uh, and, and or, or this, you know, I, I've, got, I've got victory here and I've, I've been sober for this long. And I think we don't do that in the body of Christ enough. We don't rehearse the victories that we have in Christ, the things that God has done for us, the things that God has given us victory for. We forget about those things. We tend to focus on the things that we have, you know, have been defeated, the negative things. We, we tend to focus there. That, in fact, we train our mind even to go that direction. And the way actually to victory and the way to faith 
is to rehearse the things that God has already done because that builds your faith. And then as you face other challenges and other you know, enemies in your life, those, those battles that you go through, you go with faith because you've already experienced the victory and you keep rehearsing it and you, your faith is built up. And I think that's a principle we learn here. They're looking back and there's a rehearsal and all the victories that they have, that we re- read about, actually up until this point, we're not reading about all the battles and victories. God has chosen certain ones for us to look at because there's principles that we want to take into our life. But he's not listing them all. But in this chapter, it lists all, well, in this case, 33 total victories and it makes sure, they're, they're, God is making sure you don't forget. Look at, remember you defeated him and you remember when you defeated them. And it's, it's healthy for us to rehearse our victories, the things that God has done for us, even the little things that God has done for us, prayers that have been answered by the Lord. And we celebrate and we don't forget those things. That list needs to be somewhere where you rehearse it and that you keep adding to it. I, I, if, you, if you have a prayer list, you should have a praise list. And you need to list those things. You need to write them down. And if you've never done that, I encourage you take time. Maybe today it's a good day to do it. Take time and, and write down everything you can think of. And you won't be able to think of all the things that God has done. But they'll come back, and over, you know, over the next week or two, as things come, write them down, write them down, right? You need to have a rehearsal of victories in your life, because you're always going to have before you battles in your life. And you know right now, probably some of you know what those battles are that you're going through, the challenges not only for you, but people you love, and, and things that kind of come up that are things that you know you have to work through and your faith has to rise up to meet the challenges and those rehearsals will increase your faith. So I just suggest you do that. Now, <clears throat> he starts off with Moses in verses, cha- verses one of chapter 12 um, all the way through to uh, verse, uh, well, uh, through verse six is these victories that happened under Moses. Um, when they went to battle. And it says in verse 12, verse 1, these are the kings of the land whom the children of Israel defeated, of whose land they possessed on the other side of the Jordan. Now, um, there, as they, they came to the land, before they, they got to the, the promised land, the land that was supposed to be delved out through, um, through the, um, you know, the victories as they went into the promised land. Um, Jen, would you get that map ready? I just want to, I'll, I'll ref- refer to it a couple times. But the, um, this, is, this is the map, this is the area of Israel. Of course, you see the Sea of Galilee up toward the top. And, uh, and then you see um, this, the Salt sea, Salton Sea. Um, 
and then in between that is the Jordan River. Now, what, what happened is they came from the east toward the west. And as they came, they crossed over the Jordan under Joshua. But prior to coming over the Jordan, on the east side, they, they took, they, they, Moses took them into battle. And they, uh, they fought uh, two kings, um, king, uh, Sion, Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. Now, they fought and defeated them. And on that side, there was a group of, um, there were two, two and a half tribes, a group of people from Israel said, um, we would like to just stay here. Let's not, we would like, instead of going over the Jordan, we like this land. This seems like a comfortable place to live. And so they made a decision to stay there and ask Moses. And Moses said to them, you can stay there as long as you will go to battle with the rest of your kinsmen, the other tribes, when we cross over the Jordan and battle into the, the, the land there, the land of Canaan. Now, this land is a land that was possessed by the children of Israel. God would parcel out the land. If they would have crossed over, God would have parceled out the land on the, on the west side of the Jordan River and given it to them, and they would have been able to live there, and, uh, and it would have been more secure for them. They made a decision that was contrary to, in fact, God's will originally. God had told them to cross over the Jordan and he would give them land there. And yet he was, he was provisional with them. He, you know, there, there, is the, um, there is a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And I think in this case, God allowed them to do something because it was their desire, but they would never, ever experience the full inheritance or blessing of God. And it certainly is a way a lot of Christians live. God has more for us. And there are a lot of us that if we're kind of comfortable, we're satisfied and we really don't want to go much further than where we are. And I would ask you in your life, is your life reflect a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Or is your life, honestly, just trying to hang on to your Christianity? Is your life honestly just trying to live a comfortable Christian life? You never really stress your, you know, your faith. You never, you, you never really go the extra mile to really, really, really grow in the Lord in your life. You just maintain. And I would say to you, you're living on the wrong side of the Jordan River. God wants you fully in, fully engulfed, fully engaged with uh, the things of the Lord. Now, it, it goes on to say there in verse 1, um, he, he says, These are the kings of the land of children of Israel, uh, the, uh, whom the children of Israel defeated, whose land they possessed on the other side of the Jordan, toward the rising of the sun from the river Ant Arnon to Mount Hermon and all the eastern of Jordan. And, and then verse 2 says, One king was Zion, king of Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon and ruled half the Gilead from 
Aor, which is on the bank of the river Arnon and from the middle of the river, even as far as the river Zadok, which is on the border of the Ammonites. And then in verse 4, it says, the other king was Og, king of Bashan, and his territory, who was um, of the remnant of the giants who dwelt in Ashtaroth and Edrei. So, these, um, th- these were the battles that, they, that Moses took them in. In verse 6 it says, These Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel had conquered. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given as a possession to the Reubenites, Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. Now, um, Moses himself did not enter into the promised land. And, and it's because... He struck a rock, and it kept him out of the promised land with his rod. He struck a rock. You'd think, of all the things Moses did, striking a rock, that kept him out of the promised land? Why would God do that? There are a lot worse things done that people got to come into the promised land. Why did Moses, why was Moses kept out of the promised land? Because he struck a rock. A rock. Well, the rock, this rock that he struck, very interesting. This rock followed the children of Israel where they were going in, when they were coming out of Egypt, when they were walking through the, the desert, this rock followed them. And at one point, and you go, did the rock have feet? I, you know, I, I don't know. How the rock showed up wherever they went. And at one point, the children were really crying out, and they were complaining because they didn't think they had enough water, and they thought they were going to die of thirst. And God tells Moses, go over to the rock and strike the rock, and he did. And water flowed from the rock and took care of them. And God was, unbeknownst to Moses, God was showing a kind of a type of Jesus in the rock. The rock represented Christ. Jesus is often referred to as the rock, the solid foundation, the, here it is, cornerstone. I'm, I'm expecting more response than that. The, the cornerstone. He was the rock that we would draw water from. You know, we would receive the water of life in Jesus. We would, we, our, our thirst would be quenched in Jesus. God was setting up this type of Jesus. And when Jesus is struck at the cross, the water flows unto us. Life flows unto us because he has taken the, the, uh, our place and died for the sins of the world. Do you understand what, what God was doing? And the second time, when they were in need of water, God told Moses, go and speak to the rock. Oh, speak to the rock. But Moses got angry at the complaining of the children of Israel, and he struck the rock again. But Jesus would only die once and for all, not twice. 
Do you understand that there was more at stake here in the story than what Moses was understanding? And he was disobeying God. God didn't tell him to strike the rock. He told him to speak to the rock. Because when you speak to the rock, outflows the water of life unto you. You and I can come to the rock ourselves and we speak and we say, Jesus, Lord, I need you today. I need your strength. I need you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. And out of your belly will flow rivers of living water as you draw from God. But Moses took measures into his own hands, breaking the, 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 uh, the, the shadow that God was going to be giving to not the children of Israel throughout their generations and eventually to us. And he took matters into his own hands instead of God, and he struck that rock. And because of that, God told him he would not be able to enter into the promised land. There was a penalty that he would pay for that because it was more than just hitting a rock with a stick. It was the symbol that Christ would have to die more than once, and he wouldn't. And that, in fact, if you just speak to the rock, wow, the waters of life start flowing into your life. And so Moses was not able to go in, and Joshua would be the one responsible for taking them into the promised land. And so from verse 7 all the way to the end of the chapter, um, there is a list of conquest of Joshua. And verse 7 says, And these are the kings of the country which Joshua, the children of Israel, conquered on this side of the Jordan, and on the west from Belgad to the valley of Lebanon, as far as Mount Halak and the ascent of Seir, which Joshua gave to the tribes of Israel as a possession according to their division. So they would be, you know, nine and a half tribes would now get a, a, their... Um, their land, as it was met out, divided out to them, and as God had intended. And it says, in the mount, mountain country, in the lowlands, in the Jordan plain, in the slopes, in the wilderness, in the south, Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, Perizzites, Hittites, and Jebusites, the king of Jericho, one of the, uh, the, king, of, the king of Jericho one, the king of Ai, um, which is on, besides Bethel, one, the king of Jerusalem, one, the king of Hebron, one, the king of Jarmuth, one, the king of Lachish, one, and I am not going to read every one of those through that list because that is the rest of the chapter. It's listing all these. Now, th th who they conquered and where they were is significant. It is important because that's the land of Israel and that's the area that would be divided up. But it ends with simply saying this in verse 24, the, ting, the king of Terzah won all the kings 31. So Joshua conquered 31, Moses conquered two, and now you, they have conquered the land. And then chapter 13 goes on to say, and I'll read this, verse 1, now Joshua was old, advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you are old. I just like that. 
the narrative says Joshua is old, and God says to him, you're old, advanced in years. And advanced in years means you're not just age old, you're old old. You see, there are people who are age old, but you, look, you can't tell. You know, there's, they look younger. There are some people who are young and look old. The, Joshua looked, he, he, had, he had a rough life. Right? He, he had a worn life. This, this man, he's about 90 years old at this point. Somewhere between 90 and 100, probably more likely around 90. He's about 90 years old. He's, he's going to live to 110. I mean, he's going to have a long life. But, but God says to him, you're old. And if God tells you you're old, you're old. <laughs> the self-sustaining eternal God, right, tells you you're old, you're old. So, and um, he says, and there remains very much land yet to possess. What I like about this is Joshua's got about 20 more years of life. He's old. And God's not letting him go, and he doesn't, God doesn't say, hey, you know what? Time to retire. He doesn't do that. You know, retirement is not actually in the Bible. And, and you can, and I'm not saying you can't retire from your career or your job, or that you, but you cannot retire from the work of the Lord. You're not allowed to. You're not given that permission. That retirement, that retirement starts the day you take your last breath. That's when your retirement starts. And I, so I, I just want to speak to the old people today, and whoever they are. Okay, young people, you can you listen on because you're going to get there someday. So, but I want to speak to the old people. It's not time to retire from the things of God. And some of you, you're easy chair people. And, uh, and it, not only is it not good for you health-wise, it's not good for you, it's not good for your mental state, but it is not good for you spiritually. And it's actually, in my opinion, a, a, a disobedience to God. If you are a child of God, you need to be serving somewhere. You need to find a way. And you say, well, I don't know what to do. In fact, I'm not giving you an excuse. You've lived long enough to know that you can find something to do. And if you're not, you're in disobedience to God. You're wasting a God-given gift. And you need to stop. And you need to, you need to find a way in which you can do something for God. And uh, so, okay, young people, you can listen in now. We're done. <coughs> <It's> <coughs> so God says, you're old, and, and, he, and he says in verse 2, this is the land that yet remains all the territory of the Philistines and all that is... Uh, of the Geshurites from Zion, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron, northward, which is counted as Canaan. The five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashdites, the Ashelonites, the Gittites, the Ekronites, and also the Ivites. I mean, how many ites are there? <laughs> from the south, the land of the Canaanites and Berah, which belonged to the Sidon, uh, Sidonians as far as Ashek 
to the border of Amorites, the land of the Gebelites and all Lebanon toward the sunrise of Baal, uh, Gad below Mount Hermon, as far as the entrance of Hamath, all the inhabitants of the mountains of Lebanon, as far as the book of Miseroth, as and all the Sidonians, them I will drive out from before the children of Israel, only divide it by lot to Israel as an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now, he, he brings in this idea. He says this, you're going to go in, you haven't, you haven't, destroyed all you you've got 32 victories but there's more there's there's still people in the land you have not fully taken care of he says but when when you go in as you're going in and what i want you to do in advance before even you get are able to drive out everybody you're going to give land allotments you have an inheritance and you're going to start possessing your inheritance even before you get everything out. And I hope you can see this in your own life that God has an inheritance for you. In fact, the word inheritance appears 50 times in the book of Joshua. It is a main theme in the book of Joshua. In this chapter, it it uh, shows up 13 times more than any other chapter in the Bible. Your inheritance. And this is for them a land inheritance. But in the New Testament, we have a greater inheritance than that land inheritance. The inheritance that God gives us in the New Testament, someone has to die for. As often that is the case. You know, inheritance are passed down usually because someone has passed away. And in the New Testament, there is an inheritance that someone has to die for. And he did. He died for us. He paved the way for an inheritance that God would give us. And, and our inheritance includes eternal. It's an eternal inheritance. It includes uh, eternal life. And it, it includes forgiveness of sin. In our inheritance, it it includes um, our identity. Now, I want you to notice that our inheritance, like their inheritance, elements of that inheritance had to be battled for. And I want you to uh, see how that works in your life. There are elements of your inheritance that you battle for. Let me give you an example. We just mentioned that one of the inheritance that we get is a new identity. We're children of the living God. I mean, we're, 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 we're brothers, you know, we're, we're joint heirs with Christ. We're brothers with Christ. We're, we're, we are the apple of God's eye. There's so much that the Bible talks about of who we are. And you could, we could do what we have done in the pastor series. We could do another one more extensive on who we are in Christ. Those are wonderful things. But have you not found that even though you have that, God has certainly even pronounced it that at times you haven't got the faith to fully believe it. Really, much of the battle that we have in our Christian walk, one of the reasons why so many Christians don't fully flourish in their life is because they don't fully accept everything that God has said is ours. They, they just, we just don't. 
And it, and it spills over into a lot of places in our life. There are times when you battle for things in prayer and you cannot grasp them by faith simply because you have believed the lie that you're not worthy of those things that God has said already are yours. And so what do we do? Well, we're, you know, we battle in our mind oftentimes because we have not taken hold, we have not fought for and grabbed hold of the inheritance that says you are a child of God. And he who with, with, well, did not withhold his own son, how will he not with him freely give you all things? There's a possession that God has for us. And some of that is a battle to possess it in our hearts and our minds. It, it's a battle to possess that, the fact of our value to God. It's, it's a battle to possess the reality of what God has said he is giving to us, even in the future. It's a battle. And, and listen, if we don't, if we don't understand the value of ourselves to God. I'm, it's not, you know, it's not like I'm a really good person. I'm just a great guy. It's not that stuff. It's, it's, the, it's the heart of a loving God that has expressed itself and invited you into his family. And if we don't see ourselves that way, then we'll never be able to really take the full inheritance, at least while we're here on this earth. And we get hindered from, from that because we have not battled, and let me tell you how the, we lose the battle. We lose the battle in our mind because we haven't got the word in our heart. Say that again. We lose the battle in our mind because we have not got the word in our heart. The battle is won because the word of God, the Bible, is what is the, it, it is the truth that we establish our life on and we think and so when we see what God says about us and we read about what God says and the, the promises of God and we, we attach them, the word of God, into our heart and then our mind becomes filled with the truth of God's word. Now when the battle comes, we're able to stand up in faith because it, it is purely a faith walk. And we're able to win those battles in our life. And and this is part of the inheritance that we battle for. And, and not only that, everything that God has, the Bible says, shall be ours. Everything. See, it's not just that we get to live in heaven. We get to own heaven. Say that again. We don't just live in heaven, we own heaven or whatever all of God has for us. Everything that is Christ is ours. The Bible says, everything. It's, it's our inheritance. And here's something even better than that. Say, what's better than that? He is our inheritance. See, he himself, God himself is our inheritance. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we bless you, Lord. According to his abundant mercy, he has begotten us. God's mercy got us into this, didn't he? 
again, to, the, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. An inheritance, listen, incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away. It's not going away. It's not going to sometime, you know, it will not time out in our life. Reserved in heaven for you. It's re- God has a reservation of his inheritance for you. Now, some of you, that just passed over. Oh, that's great. Some of you, that's attached to your heart, and it completely dominates the way you think and process and live out your life. Because if, if that gets attached to your heart, it will change the way you live your life. And this promise comes from God. Now, the, 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 the rest of the chapter here, in, um, verse, um, in verse 7, it says, Therefore, um, now therefore, divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and to half the tribe of Manasseh. So, you know, how it's supposed to be divided. And with, all other half, uh, uh, with the other half tribe, the Reubenites and Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses had given them beyond the Jordan, eastward of, of Moses, and servant of the Lord had given them. Now, then in verse 13, nevertheless, and now, uh, now it goes down, and it says who they, they are to destroy and how they have destroyed. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites of the Maconites, but the Geshurites and the Maconites dwell among the among Israelites until this day. Now, instead of make, don't make fun of my mispronunciation, but but get the point, okay? Only the tribe of he says this: there are some they haven't driven out. Now, when you read that, we just pass over. But the fact is that as you go further through the, the, their historical timeline, these groups that they did not drive out came back to attack them. Their children and their grandchildren suffered the consequences of them not driving out their enemies. There is a great principle there in our life. How important it is that we do not give up where we are in Christ, that we don't settle, that we're constantly in growth mode and we're constantly driving out the things that are contrary to the will of God in our own life because the things that we keep in our life, the things that we do not drive out will come back on our children our grandchildren. And I don't have to go far for you to see that. You've seen the sin of a parent See, it isn't, it isn't that God judges the child for what the parent does. It's simply this. The patterns are passed down from a parent to a child, and they suffer the consequences of those patterns that are not dealt with and not, you know, the, the sinful. I'm talking about the sinful patterns. By the way, the positive ones are passed down too, so when you're living out the will of God and the life of Jesus and, and you're living in such a way that is, you know, the selfless life, the loving life of, of a Christ follower and, and the prayer life of a Christ follower, you know, 
And, and your kids see you on your knees. They see you reading your Bible. They see you, you know, they're, they're, they're engaged because you go to church. And that's, part, that's what the family does. You're part of the body of Christ. And your kids are raised in that. That, that, that is a positive thing. It is not, it, it doesn't guarantee everything. But I'll tell you, when you live out your life in a way that God desires and they see that they can't get away from it i've seen this happen when parents have been they they love the lord and they serve god and they live out their life and every person has their own choice god freely gives that and so there are kids that grow up in godly families and and so forth, and, and so it's not that the parents fault in that, they make a choice, but this is the difference from a parent who's consistently, is, is a good, positive, consistent witness, and a parent that isn't, the child of the parent who is a good, solid, consistent witness, they cannot get far away from God without totally being, being bombarded with guilt, and, and, and in fact, dealing with, they have to deal with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I've seen this happen where kids will go, you know, I was away from God, I was running from God, but you know what? I couldn't, I couldn't get away from God. He, and wherever I went, God showed up. I mean, I, I kept bumping into Christians and people speaking in my life, and, and I felt miserable. I was horrible. And I, I just wanted to get away from God, and I couldn't. And that's the testimony. And I want to encourage you parents. Listen, you live out your life. You, you battle and you don't give up. You knock out all the enemies that you can. It would be a lifetime for them. Then it says, and only the tribe of Levi, he had given no inheritance. The, uh, the sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said. And then go down to, to verse 22, and it says, And the children of Israel also killed with the sword Balaam the son of Beor, the soothsayer among those who, killed, who were killed by them. And I, I, I don't have time to go into this. But they, it's interesting that the scripture here picks out a specific guy, Balaam, who, um, who was hired by Balak um, and uh, the, the king of the Midianites to put a curse on the children of Israel, and Balaam couldn't. He tried, and every time he tried, he came back and had to bless the children of Israel. He says, how can I curse, which God has blessed? But he then turned to Balak and said, I'll tell you how you can defeat Israel. And we have this all in Numbers 22 through 24. Balaam tells Balak, listen, send in the women and cause the men of Israel to fall into sexual sin. And then they will also fall into idolatry because they will learn from the gods of the, these women who have come and now they will start worshiping other gods and then you'll be able to defeat them. And that's exactly what happened. It's called in the book of Revelation the doctrine of Balaam. Do you kind of see the doctrine of Balaam working out in this world today? 
Absolutely. Sexual sin, by the way, almost always leads to idolatry. It almost always leads away from the worship, the true and living God, to worshiping human gods and their own, you know, their, their own um, gods that they will follow. So I, the, the, it's picked out here that specifically kill Balaam. You got to kill Balaam. You got to kill the one who is always trying to cause compromise. It's, it's, it's you know, the, the compromiser, the, the culture, the things. It, it's, it's, I don't even, I can't even bring up sometimes all the, the immorality that has become commonplace. And it's always, isn't the world always trying to push the, the limit? It's always trying to push it further and further and further out. Always. And the wise man or woman of God understands what God's standard is and says, I will battle to live out God's standard in my life by faith. And remember, it's always an issue of faith. It isn't, it isn't, a, it isn't a human effort. It's, a, it's, a, it's, an, it's an attachment to God by faith in doing these things. If you, have a, if you have a sinful pattern in your life, you don't win by going, you know, I'm just gonna be better. I mean, wanting to be better is good. But you don't destroy sinful patterns in your life by just going, you know, I'm just going to try harder. No. You do it by raising your faith level and saying, with God's help. And, and, and it's a confession of faith. I'm going to defeat this thing in Jesus' name. It is a, it is a I am, I will in Jesus' name defeat this thing. You, you, as your faith rises, you get victory. It's not by human effort. And so whenever it's by human effort, it's short-lived and it pops up somewhere else. We've already talked about that. Um, so let me, let me kind of finish this off. In verse 32, these are the areas which Moses dis- distributed as an inheritance to the plains of Moab and the other side of the Jordan by Jericho. But the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance as he had said to them. So the Levites didn't get a piece of land. They were to serve the temple and serve the Lord. And the Bible says that the Lord was their inheritance. They're the biggest type of all of our life in the new covenant. In new, in new, as followers of Jesus, Jesus is our inheritance. You know, we will get land. Land will come. I'm not talking about where you live. I'm talking about the land. This world will, in fact, be our inheritance as well. But our real inheritance is Christ. And so I want to close with two, two portions of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12, it says that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. 
in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance. When you've accepted Christ and you receive the Holy Spirit, the fact that the Holy Spirit is working in you is a guarantee of our inheritance. The fact that the Holy Spirit is transforming you is a guarantee of our inheritance. Now, how do you know you have an inheritance? Because you have accepted Christ by faith, and when you accepted Christ by faith, God put his Holy Spirit in you, and you will have noticed a change. You'll, you'll notice a change. Some, cha- some, some have dramatic changes, some have slight changes, but everyone who truly believes in Christ has a change. And, and I know the day I accepted Christ, it was from right immediately. Some of the things just fell off of me, things that I was attached to that were not of God, I got convicted for things I couldn't, I couldn't do them anymore, immediately. Now, it wasn't immediate that everything fell off, I have to tell you. And I still am growing in the Lord. That's still a process. But the evidence is that the Holy Spirit has come in you, and you have a conviction because the Holy Spirit is in you. That is, that right there is, it is the guarantee of your inheritance. And then I want to leave, leave you with this last one. Ephesians 1.17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So Paul the Apostle is praying for the uh, church of Ephesus. And he says, I pray that God's going to give you wisdom and revelation and knowledge. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Oh, what? You didn't blank out on that one, did you? You don't want to blank out on this one. That you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance. We're not talking about our inheritance now. This isn't about our inheritance. This is about his inheritance. What in the world is his inheritance? Turn to your neighbor and say, you are. You are. You are. You are. You are his inheritance. And just like we We can't wait to get our full inheritance. Jesus can't wait to get his. Father, thank you for what you have delivered us into and saved us from. I pray, Father, that our lives, Lord, we would grow. We would take our we, we, would, we would continue the process, the battle, for what you've already given us. Someday, Lord, it's the fullness of that inheritance is ours. But in the meantime, we want to, Lord, move, we, we want to take ground for you. 
And Father, we ask that you would help us. For anyone here that has not entered that, you have not said yes to Jesus, invited Jesus to be your Savior, well, you're on the outside. But you can be on the inside. And the fact that God is allowing you to hear this message and that you can be saved means God is drawing you. He wants you. He's working on your heart. The fact that you're listening means that you want that too. So I'm going to invite you just to say this. Say, dear God, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins and that you were buried and you conquered death. Jesus, I want you in my life. I want you to cleanse my soul. I want you to help me to follow you. I choose you, Jesus, as my Savior. Come into my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.